everything is greener and brighter. That was this morning, man. I look out the window and the green, green grass was just jumping off the ground and, uh, and it was gorgeous, man. I come driving down the road from our house and around the bend. And there's a little creek down there that, that runs under the road. And to the right, there's a big old pasture and a ton of cornfield out there that they just got, uh, got done baling. But they, uh, I look over there to the right, and they're coming over the top of this knoll with a little bit of drizzly rain, bright green grass, this white horse comes walking up over the top. It was beautiful. And I thought to myself, man, was it a morning like this? Was it a morning like this when Jesus looked over at the disciples and said, Hey man, it's, it's time to go to Jerusalem. It's the 10th of Nisan. This is the day, man. This is the day. You, you've heard the psalmist say in Psalm 118, This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. And we sing that song. And we think about the fact that every day is a day that God has made. But you see what that verse is talking about. Is there was one day. One specific day. That Jesus was looking toward and looking for. And that one day was the 10th of Nisan. 32 AD. Jesus looked at his disciples and he said, Hey guys, I think it's, I think it's time for us to head over to Jerusalem. I think we want to get to that place where, where they want me. Well, not necessarily for good things, but they did want Jesus. And so he begins in Luke chapter 19, verse 28. It says, And when he had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. And it came to pass, when he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany, the mountain called Olivet, that he sent two of his disciples. And he said, Now, go into the village opposite you. And as you enter, you'll find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Loose it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, Why are you loosing it? Say to them, because the Lord has need of it. So the two disciples take off. Can you imagine this mission? Have you thought about it very carefully? I'm sure along the way they started to talk to each other. So we're just supposed to go take some guy's donkey? Yeah, yeah, that's what Jesus said. If you see one tied up, just take it. And when the dude says, what are you doing with my donkey? I'm just supposed to say, the Lord has need of it. Which one of us is taking the beating while the other one gets away with the donkey? (laughs) You know, I'm sure that's what would be going on in my head. Have you ever had God call you to do something and you're thinking, are you sure, Lord? Are you sure that, that, that this is... Your plan for me? There's a guy I met. I really respected him a lot. Years ago, when, we were, when, when I was in Bible college, they would have a different fellow come in and speak for chapel at Bible college. And, and this guy, I'll never forget when this guy came in and spoke. He used to own a polo club in Beverly Hills. And uh, he was unsatisfied with life. And, and one day he's just uh, watching a, a tele-evangelist on TV. And... Uh, the message struck his heart. He gave his life to the Lord right there. And he said, you know, I didn't really know any better. So I just figured God wanted, what, God wanted me to do something. So he felt the Lord lay on his heart that it was time to give up the, the polo grounds. So he sold the polo grounds and, 
And he felt like what his desire was in life was to, to be able to go around the world where people were hurting and bring food, medical supplies, and a love of Jesus Christ wherever people were hurting. So he didn't have anybody around to discourage him, and he hadn't really found himself in the church yet at that point. So he was praying about it, and he said one day he was out walking around his neighborhood, and he's, he's walking down this, this road, this little cul-de-sac, and as he's walking around the cul-de-sac, you know, he's just really reaching out to God, wants direction from the Lord to tell him, Lord, what, what do you, what's the next step? What do you want me to do? And as he walks around the corner, he feels emphatically like, like God speaking in his ear, saying to him, I want you to shout, Jesus loves you in this mailbox. <laughs> and he said, oh man, there's no way I'm hearing right. Because that don't make no sense. So he walked past the mailbox. He got all the way down to where the other mailbox was. And then it was just like this. He says it was like this weight on his heart. And he's like, you... Okay, so he turns around and he walks back to the mailbox. And he looks to make sure. (laughs) Nobody's looking. Nobody's around. You know... Opens the lid to the mailbox and yells in it, Jesus loves you! Close it! It takes off walking real quick. He didn't make it to the next mailbox before this fellow come running out of his house saying, Hey, mister! Oh, you're kidding me, right? <laughs> mister, I need to know something. Why'd you do that? Why'd you yell, Jesus loves you in my mailbox? Oh, they're going to send a van for me and everything. So he walked back to him. He says, you know, I just, I just felt like God laid on my heart to yell, Jesus loves you in your mailbox. It's, a, it's, a, it's the weirdest thing I've ever had in my life. And the guy's looking at him like he's crazy, just like you would be too. He says, I don't, I don't really understand what's going on here, but I was sitting in my living room right over there and things have been kind of tough for me and and uh, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't have a relationship with God. I don't, I'm not a religious man. You know, that's the phrase they always like to throw around. I'm not a religious man. And he says, I'm just, just happen to be calling out and, and thinking, Lord, Lord, I don't understand what's going on in my life. But if you're real, if you really exist, give me one good reason why I should keep going on. Why I should just wake up tomorrow. And he said, right about then, you opened up the lid of my mailbox and hollered in it, Jesus loves you. (laughs) And he had an opportunity right there on the weirdest morning of his life to lead a man who didn't know Jesus Christ to the Lord. By doing just what God told him to do. It's one of the things that would really set this guy apart. And he, uh, he would go on to develop a ministry that uh, would be called friendships that goes around the world taking food and medical supplies to hurting countries and the love of Jesus Christ wherever he goes. But early in his days, he went through something like that. I, I kind of think about that when I read this story. Go, go take this colt. It says in verse 32, So those who were sent, they went their way and they found it just like he said. But as they were loosing the colt, the owners of it said to them, Why are you loosing the colt? Don't, don't lose sight of the fact that they're stealing somebody's donkey right now. Or borrowing it without asking. Where are you going? 
And so they said to him, the Lord has need of him. And that's the end of the story. That's kind of amazing to me because the same guy I was telling you about the, that founded the ministry Friendships. Later on, he's, he's looking for, uh, desiring a ship. He doesn't aim small. He's not looking for a boat. He's looking for a ship. So that he can take food to hurting countries and medical supplies, things that we're throwing away in this country, he could use. And, and so he wanted to take this ship. So he don't know no better. He's looking through the paper and he finds a big old giant ship for sale. I won't even tell you how much they want for it. It's a ridiculous amount of money. But he makes an appointment for the fellow who's selling the, this ship and he goes over to the place and, and he's waiting in the, in the lobby and there's another guy in there. And, and there, he's taking bids for who wants to offer what for his ship. So these fellows come walking out and the, and the guy tells them. He says, listen, I got one more fellow I'm going to talk to. And basically whoever's got the highest bid, that's who gets the ship. So I'll call you. I'll let you know how this goes. Okay. And as they walk out, they, this, this, this friend of mine, they look at him. They're kind of staring at him like trying to size him up, you know. He don't look like much. But I don't know, we'll see how that all works out. You know, they walk by and, and the guy calls him in his office. No lie, God's honest truth. He sits down across the desk from this guy and the guy says, Okay, now, I just want you to know there's several people bidding on it. And, and basically, I just need your best offer. Your best offer, the guy that's the highest bid, he's the one that's going to get the ship, you know. So I just need you to come out with your best offer. And he said, Well, mister, I don't have no money. But God needs your ship. And that guy across from a desk said, then I guess God better have it. So he gave him the ship. He didn't pay a nickel. He gave him the ship. Every port he ever went in, he never has money for fuel. Never. He is the most unorganized person you'll ever meet in your life. He has no money to pay for the dock fees. He has no money for all that. But I, as he's pulling in the dock, I can't even tell you how many times I watch it happen. The phone rings. He answers the phone and there's some guy in town says, Hey, we, we hear you're headed back into town. Uh, have you got anybody to pay for your fuel? No, you don't? Okay, well, we want to we wanna make sure we supply your fuel for you. So, so we're going to take care of that. Oh, praise the Lord. Hang up the phone. Five minutes later, another phone call. Hey, we heard you're back in town and you need to cover the dock fees. We want to cover your dock fees for you. We're going to take care of those. He, whole ministry is like that. Whole ministry. Simply because a guy's foolish enough to believe that God's going to do what he says he's going to do. God's going to supply our needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. And that ministry today still goes on the same way. I think he's got seven ships now instead of just one. And all kind of different crews and, and just, a, just an, an, an anointed guy who took what God said and just did it. Well, how's that all going to work? I don't really know. I'm just doing the next thing God told me to go get the donkey. Take it off a tree. What's going to happen? Just tell him the Lord needs it. Isn't that amazing? See, God still moves stones today. Do you believe that? He still moves mountains. He still does work. And he is still working. 
So we see them. They go, they loose him. And they brought him to Jesus and they threw their, their own clothes on the colt and they set Jesus on him. So they, they take off their jackets and their, and their robes, their outerwear, and they, and they lay it over the back of that, of that donkey and they, they let Jesus get up on him. And as he went, many spread their clothes on the road. They go down and they, they throw their clothes out on the road, just laying it out before that, that donkey. Never had it so good. Used to walking on dirt, now it's walking on fellow's clothes. I'm not sure that's better or not, but that's what they were doing. They were throwing it out there for him. And then it says, then now as he was drawing near the descent to the Mount of Olives, a whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, singing, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. That comes from Psalm 118. Verse 26, verse 24 says, this is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Something different about this day. Because, you know, every time Jesus healed somebody, he would tell them, shh, don't say nothing. Every time somebody wanted to praise him as a king or proclaim him as a Messiah, Jesus would say, no, it's not my time yet. It's not my time until the 10th of Nisan, 32 AD. And then Jesus said, go get that donkey for this day that the Lord made. And he climbed up on his back. 150 years earlier, a fellow by the name of of Judas Maccabeus delivered the children of Israel from the Seleucids. And when he delivered them from the Seleucids, he came riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. And they laid their coats before him, and they fanned out with with palm branches, and laid palm branches before him, proclaiming him as their deliverer. 150 years later, Jesus is coming in the same way. There's something different about him, though. You see, he's fulfilling the scripture in Zechariah chapter 9. Zechariah 9 9 says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. And he is just and has salvation. And he's humble, lowly, riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. Here he comes, their king. Mashiach Nagid. Messiah the Prince, on the 10th of Nisan, 32 AD. And they sing to him this psalm, which is a psalm proclaiming the Messiah. The Messiah. And so, in case we might miss that, we don't have to worry about it because the Pharisees are there. And they're going to complain anytime Jesus does something that points to him being Almighty God. Or fulfillment of prophecy. And so some of the prof- or some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, said, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Tell them to be quiet, man. They're proclaiming you the Messiah. Every other time this occurred, Jesus was like, Shh, guys, shh. It's not the day. It's not the day. But what happens this time? This time he answered, said, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. Jesus said, man, I'm not going to make them be quiet. If they were quiet, all creation would burst forth in praise. Part of me wishes he'd have made them be quiet. 
hear what that would have been like. This last time I went to Israel, <clears throat> Jason Richardson, he said to me, Jackie, I want you to, to <clears throat> just, just bring me back a rock from Israel. Man, there's a lot of rocks in Israel. <laughs> so we're walking around, and when we come down from the, the Mount of Olives, we're walking down into Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, down in the Kidron Valley, back up into Jerusalem. As we're walking down, I stopped over beside the, the pathway and picked him up a rock and brought it back and told him that's one of the rocks that didn't cry out when Jesus came into Jerusalem. Who knows? Maybe it was there. That day. He wouldn't tell him to be quiet. That day, he wanted everybody to know who he was. That day, 10th of Nisan, 32 AD. What's important about the 10th of Nisan? Well, the 14th of Nisan is Passover. The Jews go by a lunar calendar. You and I, we go by a solar calendar today. A lunar calendar is, is based off of the moon. We see a, a leap year every four years to make adjustments. They would put what's called a leap month. They would put a, a 13th month in their calendar every so often to get caught up with the seasons as time would go on. And it was a calendar that was used by all the ancients, Babylonians, Egyptians, uh, Israelites, all the ancients to, up to a certain point before people switched over to what we call the Julian calendar today. So on the, on the 10th of Nisan, the people that were preparing for Passover would bring the lambs to the priest and have the priest look at the lamb and decide if it was worthy of sacrifice. On the 10th of Nisan... Jesus came to the priests and said, here I am. Am I worthy? For the next four days, he would be examined. And one after another would declare the same thing, wouldn't they? There's nothing wrong with him. He hasn't committed any sin. He's perfect. What happens to the perfect lamb? It becomes the sacrifice. And that all starts on the 10th of Nisan. 10th of Nisan. Here Jesus is. And as the people are proclaiming a Messiah, they're, they're looking for a political deliverer. There's no question. They're in the oppression of the Romans. They read the scriptures. They know that the Bible says that the Messiah is going to return on a white horse. And when he does, he's going to set all things straight. But Jesus isn't on a white horse, is he? He's on a donkey because he's coming humbly in peace with salvation in his hand as he offers himself the perfect sacrifice for man's sin. That's what he's coming to do. And as they're proclaiming, as they're singing, as they're jumping up and down, in verse 41 it says, And as he drew near, he saw the city and he wept over it. That word in the Greek is a very picturesque word. It means literally that he broke down wailing. Not just a tear rolling down the cheek. His heart is broken. As he comes over. And when you come over to the top of the Mount of Olives. Let me tell you. You can see all of Jerusalem. The whole city. And the very first thing. Maybe some of you have seen the pictures of the Dome of the Rock on the Temple Mount. That's the view from the Mount of Olives. You can see it all. And as he's looking at it, as he's seeing what's laid out there before him, his heart is broken. 
And he begins to weep and he begins to cry. And then he says in verse 42, he said to them, if you had known, even you, especially in this, what's it say? Your day. What day? That's the day that the Lord had made. If you had known that this is your day, if you had known the things that would make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. You don't see. You don't know. What didn't they know? They didn't know that a prophet, a young man, 16 years old, taken from his family in a time of bondage, made a eunuch, dedicated his life to God, ultimately would become, would be called beloved of God. And to this young man, to this young person, God revealed his plans for the history of the nation of Israel. His name's Daniel. In Daniel chapter 9, Daniel had some interesting things to say about this day. Why don't you turn there with me? All you got to do is turn left. Keep turning left until you get to Daniel. Daniel chapter 9. In Daniel chapter 9, Daniel is praying for his nation. Anybody feel like we ought to be praying for our nation today? I don't know. Might not be a bad idea. Daniel's praying for his nation. He's praying that their sins would be forgiven. He's repentant because he finds them in a position of bondage for the last 70 years. And he wants to know, Lord, why have we been in bondage? And so he read the Bible. And the Bible said... I want you to work the land for six years. And on the seventh year, I want you to give the land rest. On the sixth year, I'll give you double. But the children of Israel never obeyed that because they got double in the sixth year. So the seventh year, they could really get ahead if they planted. So they went ahead and planted on the seventh year. For 490 years, they never gave the land its rest. So God said... I'll give the land its rest. And they went into captivity to the Babylonians. The children of Israel were also wrapped up in idol worship, turning their back on the truth of God's word, turning their back on on the truth of Almighty God. And so they find themselves in bondage. And this young guy, this teenager, as he goes on and draws closer to the Lord, and as he gains in wisdom and age, He calls on the name of the Lord, realizing the 70 years are almost over. And if it's over, we might be able to go home. And so he's calling on God. He's asking for forgiveness for his nation. And Gabriel shows up. Gabriel, one of the angels that God would send to deliver messages to people. And Gabriel shows up in Daniel chapter 9. And he says in verse, in verse 22, And he informed me, Gabriel, and talked with me and said, Oh, Daniel, now I've come, to give, come forth to give you skill to understand. At the beginning of your prayers, the command went out, and I have come to tell you, for you are greatly beloved. Therefore, consider the matter and understand this vision. 
70 weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city. 70 Shabuim, 77s, 70 weeks. They use that term Shabuim like we would use the term decade. We, we build everything in our system according to tens. The, the nation of Israel built everything according to sevens. Like a week, seven days. A Shabuim, a week of years, would be seven years. Six years you worked the land, seventh year the land had rest. Uh, seven Shabuims, 49 years, would lead you to the year of Jubilee, when every slave would be set free and all debts would be forgiven. Anybody like that rule? Kind of like that one myself. But anyways, we have these, these things laid out before us. He says, 70 sevens are determined. For who? For me? He says, for your people and your holy city. Who were Daniel's people? The Jews, the nation of Israel. And what's his holy city? Jerusalem. For the Jews and for Jerusalem. There are 77s, 490 prophetic years that God was working that God is moving, that God has a plan. All of these things, we're going to read six things, are going to be fulfilled at the end of these 77s. Here's what he says. One, we will finish the transgression. That means there's going to be a new order on earth. All the old things will pass away and everything will become new. There'll be to make an end of sins. It means the whole world will see redemption. To make reconciliation for iniquity. That means the price that's due will be paid. The price. What is the price? The wages of sin is death. That means everyone owes one death. That price would be paid by another. And for to bring in everlasting righteousness. That's a, a phrase for the Messiah's reign when he would rule and reign as almighty king. And then he goes on to seal up vision and prophecy. The fifth thing, to seal up vision. That means the ending and the fulfillment of all prophecy. By the end of this 77s, all prophecy will be fulfilled. It will be completed. History will be over. And we will anoint The most holy. The most holy. The language indicates to us the most holy is dealing with a place. The most holy would be the holy of holies. That place where the Ark of the Covenant would set, where Scripture declares to us, is the throne of God. In fact, the top of that Ark would be called the Hilasterion, or the Propitiation. Scripture declares to us in the New Testament that Jesus is our Propitiation. He is our substitute sacrifice. He is our mercy seat. He is the holy of holies. Jesus Christ. All these things will be accomplished at the end of 77s. So in verse 25, he tells us, Then know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until the Messiah, the Prince, that's the Mashiach Nagid, until the Messiah, the Prince, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. And the street will be built again in the wall, even in troublesome times. Daniel's praying, the 70 years are almost at an end. God, what's going to be happening? 
He says, let me tell you, Daniel, I'm going to tell you which day is the day that the Lord has made. I'm going to tell you the day the Messiah, the Prince, will, will present himself to the priests in the temple. What day that the Messiah would walk in. I'm going to tell you when it's going to be. He says at the end of 62 weeks and 7 weeks. That's 69 weeks, right? 69 weeks of years, 483 years. But he tells us when to start the clock, doesn't he? He said in verse 25, here's when you start the clock. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build what? Jerusalem until the Messiah is 483 years. Until when you see that command to go forth and rebuild Jerusalem. Well, we know when that clock starts, guys. There were four commands for the children of Israel to go back and and work in Jerusalem. Three of those commands, three of the four, are to rebuild the temple. One is to rebuild Jerusalem. Only one. Come from Artaxerxes Longimanus. He made the decree to Nehemiah. In Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. He made that command according to our calendar, March 14th, 445 B.C. And God said, from that point, 483 years to Messiah. Well, it's even a little bit cooler than that. As we can take that 483 years and we can break it down into days. You remember I told you that they used a lunar calendar. They used 360 day years. So we multiply it out. You come up with 173,880 days from March 14th, 445 BC to the day Messiah will present himself to the priests on the Temple Mount. And it comes out to April 6th, 32 AD. On the Jewish calendar, it's the 10th day of Nisan. The day Jesus walked into the temple and cleansed it. The day that Jesus walked into town. The exact day Daniel said he would do it. The exact day. Not the month, not the year, the day. To the day. April 6, 32 AD. The Bible said this is when Messiah will present himself. Palm Sunday is that day. It's that day. To the letter. The exact moment, the exact time. And in case we think, well, it's not really that exacting. What are you talking about? He said there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. Why the division? Because it took 49 years or seven weeks for them to build the wall and the streets in Jerusalem. What's the next part of the verse say? The street shall be built again and the wall even in troublesome times. 49 years, they finished that. 62 weeks after that, Messiah walked in. Messiah walked in on that exact day. But look at what verse 26 says. After the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off 
Kerat. Means he will be put to death. Messiah will be put to death. But not for himself. That means he's not going to be guilty of some crime. He's going to be put to death for someone else. Now I want you to think about that for a moment. Daniel writes that. And here we come to the time of Christ. Hundreds and hundreds of years later. And John would write in John chapter 11. Beginning in verse 49. And one of them, Caiaphas, being high priest that year, he said to them, You guys don't know anything at all. Nor do you consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people and not that the whole nation should perish. Now this he did not say on his own authority, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not for that nation only, but also that he would gather together in one the children of God who were scattered abroad. Then from that day forward, they plotted to put Jesus to death. He will be cut off, but not for himself. Caiaphas prophesied in John chapter 11 that it's expedient that one man die for the sins of all the people. He didn't really know what he was saying, but God was speaking through him. Messiah would be cut off. Messiah would die. He would perish. Messiah will be cut off. And the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The city, Jerusalem, and the sanctuary, the temple, will be destroyed by the people of the prince who is to come. The prince who is to come is a, is a title of the Antichrist, that last day's world ruler that is yet to come. And his people, the nation from which he will arise, is going to destroy Jerusalem and the temple. We don't have to ask who did that. Open up your history book. Titus Vespasian, 70 AD, destroyed Jerusalem and the temple. He did not leave one stone upon another. In fact, he drug a plow over Jerusalem. That's wasted. Utterly wasted. Brought down. They will destroy the city and the sanctuary and the end of it will be like a flood, a dispersion. And what do we see in the nation of Israel? <sighs> spread out into dispersia, like a flood. They're just spread out around the world. Until the end of the war, desolations will be determined. And then the clock stop. Why? Well, because this prophecy deals specifically with the nation of Israel. And the nation of Israel ceased to exist. They didn't exist for the next 2,000 years. And ultimately, Scripture declares to us that the nation of Israel, in God's mind, ceases to exist until that day when within its borders there will be a remnant that recognize Him. As the Mashiach Nagi, the Messiah. And at that moment, the prince who is to come, the Antichrist, he's going to make a peace treaty for seven years. What it says. Then he will confirm a covenant with many for one week. But in the middle of the week, he will bring an end to sacrifice and offering. 
At that moment, guys, the 70th week of Daniel begins and the prophetic calendar resumes. You know that week by another name. It's called the tribulation period. Seven-year prophetic period of time that is still on the calendar. Listen, this is what Daniel had. We can get wrapped around all this stuff, but let's go back to what today is all about. Today, in history, the day that Jesus Christ arrived, the 10th of Nisan, the very day that Daniel the prophet said that he would come. And as we take a look at the, at the Gospel of Luke and we see what occurred on that day, Jesus declared to those, after saying, but now they are hidden from your eyes, he says in verse 43, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you and surround you and close you in on every side. That's what Titus did roughly 37 years, 38 years after this date. Jesus As he's coming riding down into the city, he cries because he sees what's coming 38 years later. That Titus is going to build an embankment around the city and he's going to starve them out. He's going to starve them until they are dead and dying within the city. He's not going to have some big battle. He's going to drive them to the brink of starvation. Beyond the brink of starvation. He's going to conquer that city. And he will level you and your children within you to the ground. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another. Why? Look what it says. Because you did not know the time of your visitation. Because you sang the song. This is the day that the Lord has made. But you didn't know what it meant. God held them responsible to know the word. They had the word, right? They had access to the word. From 270 BC on, they had the Bible written in the Greek, the language of the common man. He could pick it up and read it if he wanted to. God said, You didn't know, you didn't believe. Somewhere in their existence, somewhere in their relationship with God, guys, they got the idea that it's just words on a page, just a bunch of rituals. It doesn't really matter. And when the day came and Jesus, the Son of God, stood before the priests, we'll see the question that they ask him. But it's not to proclaim him as the Messiah. Tell me what work Jesus should have done that he hadn't already done. Isaiah 61 says, here's how you're going to recognize the Messiah. He's going to make the blind to see. The lame will walk. The deaf will hear. The mute will speak. The prisoners will be set free. The brokenhearted will be mended. Follow the life of Jesus. Read any gospel. What did he do? He made the blind see, the deaf hear, the mute speak, the lame walk. He touched the untouchable. He healed broken hearts. He did all of this fulfilling every word that the Bible said Messiah would do. Every single word, down to the day, he would stand before them. 
And on that day, even if they asked him to make them all be quiet and stop proclaiming him as the Messiah, he said, nope. This is the day the Lord has made. This is the day. But as he comes into the city, he weeps and he cries because of what their unbelief is going to do. Because their unbelief is going to destroy lives. He's not stoked about it. God doesn't sit up in heaven and say, man, I'm so happy to bring judgment and calamity upon people. The Bible says he does not rejoice in the destruction of the wicked. Ever. But that the wicked would turn and live. His heart is that they would receive and believe. And through that day, today, he has extended salvation to every one of us. Now when we sing that psalm, it's not, this is the day that the Lord has made, the 10th of Nisan or April 6, 32 AD. Now it's today is the day of salvation. Today the call goes out. Today Jesus stands before you with his arms reached out, nail prints in his hands, and he says, today I'm here for you. That's what Palm Sunday is all about. I'm here for you. What did he do? Scripture tells us that he went into the temple and began to drive out those who bought and sold in it. And he said to them, it is written, my house is a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Look what you guys have done. You've made this a, a den of thieves. You see, he walked into the eastern gate. If you guys have seen a picture of Jerusalem, that's that gate that's all walled up. He walked right through that gate into the court of the Gentiles. But you couldn't hardly move or pray. The court of the Gentiles is the only place Gentiles could go to pray. But in the court of the Gentiles, they were having a swap meet. It's not that they were selling this and that. They were having a swap meet. It was chaos. Why were they doing it in the court of the Gentiles? Because they didn't care if anybody ever came to know God. They just cared about whether or not they could make a buck today. And today, remember, everybody's coming in to have their lamb examined. And if the lamb's not worthy, they got to buy another lamb. And here we are. We'll sell them another lamb. Or we'll sell them another turtle dove if their dove's not good enough. But they won't be able to just buy it with their money. They're going to have to exchange it. Because we don't want to use money with a picture of Caesar on it. That's idol worship. So you've got to change your money for temple money. Money without an emblem on it. And, you know, i got to make a living. So in order for you to exchange that money, I'm going to charge you. And I'm going to charge you for the dove. And I'm going to charge you for the lamb. And I'm going to, I'm going to make the worship of God industry. And Jesus went in and he cleaned house. He walked in, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, and he snatched up all them guys that were in there ripping people off. He made a whip of cords and he drove them out. Get out of here. So I don't know about you guys, but to me that means Jesus had to look a little different than he looks in the movie Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus of Nazareth, when I see him coming down looking crazy at me, I'm not afraid. I'm thinking, who are you? But this Jesus, the real Jesus, he made a, a, a whip 
of cords. And when he looked at people, they were gone. Hey, yeah. Sorry, I'm out of here. He turned over the tables. He set the doves free. He threw all those people out on the temple mount on the 10th of Nisan, the day that the lamb is to be examined by the priest. Big chaos, right? A lot of things happening around Jerusalem at that time. But Luke tells us what happens. And he was teaching daily in the temple, but the chief priests, the scribes, the leaders of the people, they sought to destroy him. They were unable to do anything, for all the people were attentive to hear him. They all wanted to hear what he had to say. Now it happened on one of those days as he taught the people in the temple and preached the gospel, that the chief priests and the scribes, together with the elders, confronted him and spoke to him and said, Tell us by what authority you're doing these things. Who told you you could do all this? Throw these guys out of here. They worked for the high priest. Who said you could do that? The examination begins. And that examination will continue until Pilate stands before the people and says, Behold the man. Eke homo. And at that point, examination is over. And the crucifixion has begun. Maybe it was a day like this. Sun shining. Grass is green. It's beautiful outside. We live in a beautiful land. Don't ever forget that. I come from an ugly land. Let me tell you, it's beautiful here. Jackie, you don't know what you're talking about. Just find Jeff Masters. He's been where I'm from. He's been there. Huh. What is it? See? (laughs) We live in a beautiful place. We have an opportunity to look out our windows 2,000 years later and say that. Was it a day like this? Jesus came. Guys, today he's here. Bible says where two or three are gathered. There I am in your midst. And he wants to clean house. Just like he cleaned house then. He wants to clean house in your life and my life. Because this is the day the Lord has made. This is the day when Jesus comes and he opens the door. We invite him into our life. And he says, you know what, Jackie? There's some house cleaning we need to do. Dirty clothes on the floor. Let's get them out. Dirty habits. Get them out. Life is a little bit sideways. Let me put it back on a straight and narrow. Because... The nation of Israel weren't ready. I don't know if man ever is. But don't you forget what Jesus said for you and me. He said, be ready. For you know not the time when the Son of Man comes. That means... He'd come any time. 
And he don't have to ask a theologian if it's okay. He don't have to ask a Bible scholar if it's possible. He can come when he's ready to come. Way back in April 6, 32 AD, God told everyone the day and they weren't ready. So he learned something about mankind. Although God doesn't really learn, he knew this all along. What did he learn? He learns that man needs to live every day looking for his Savior. And if he does, he'll be ready. Are you ready today? Because this is the day the Lord has made. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we do thank you for this Palm Sunday, this beautiful day, God. We can just see your amazing creation. So beautiful. God, may we remember as we consider that, as we consider this story from Palm Sunday, that that your people, Lord, they, they were willing to just do what you said. You said go, they went. You said stay, they'd stay. On this day, you presented yourself to the people. You told them that you would come. And then you came. Now today, Lord, you have told us, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again to bring you to myself. That where I am, you will be also. But he didn't give us a day this time. Man wasn't ready when he knew the day. Instead, he said, be ready every day. Be ready today. And every time the Lord God called my name, and I pushed him away and I turned a deaf ear it was harder to hear him the next time and the next time and the next time and the Bible tells us that we can come to a point where we don't hear it anymore but if you're here this morning you're hearing it now today is the day of salvation today The Lord Jesus Christ has presented himself to you through prophecy, through fulfillment, through history, through the truth of God's word. Today he presents himself to you. And to as many as receive him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, to be part of the family. So this morning, we're just going to take a moment. If there's anybody here this morning that hears the call of God, and as he presents himself to you this morning, you want to receive him, it's easy. There's not some magic word you got to say. There's simply an attitude of the heart that says, I believe. I believe you are the son of the God who has come into the world. She died for my sin and rose again the third day. Be my Lord and Savior. That's it. That's it.
Forgive me my sin and make me new. This morning, if that's you, I just want to give you an opportunity to opportunity to, to be counted. To say, I'm on the Lord's side. So this morning, if you'd like to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, wherever you're at, you don't, you don't have to jump around or anything. I just want to ask you, just lift up your hand. Just lift up your hand to the Lord and say, here I am and I receive. Thanks, brother. To anybody else this morning? Amen. Praise God. I see you, bro. Anybody else this morning? This is the day the Lord has made. Praise Jesus. Lord God, for each one of these who raised their hand to you, several this morning, Lord God, I do pray your hand would be upon them. Lord, that they, as they receive you as their Lord and Savior, I pray, Lord Jesus, that they would just pray this prayer in their heart of hearts. That I believe you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, who has come into the world. And I ask that you would forgive me of my sins. I thank you for your sacrifice on the cross. And I ask that you would be my Lord and Savior. And if you pray that prayer this morning, he's with you. And you are his. And all the angels of heaven right now sound like they did those many years ago when Jesus presented himself to a people. Lord, we thank you for the work of your spirit in this place. And we give you all the praise and the glory for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.